You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. All right, well, having said that, let me uh, read the passage this morning. We're doing this study in Philippians, this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. Church probably about the same size as ours. It's almost like you can kind of envision us, probably minus masks, in a courtyard um, in somebody's home there in Philippi. You had a little bit of extra money so that they could get some people together in a courtyard with like grape vines overtaking, overtaking the, the sun. So it was kind of warm and, and you could be together. And then this letter was read to the people from Paul while he's under house arrest. And here's the section we're going to read, Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not to those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy, Timothy has proved himself because he is a son with his father, has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And with that, I get the opportunity to hand the reins over to our dear friend, Adam Nye, to preach this morning. All right. Thank you, Andy. Um, let me just open with a, ooh, with a word of prayer. Father, speak through me, please. Amen. All right. Um, this past week was uh, our daughter Mercy's 15th birthday. Uh, Calvin is applauding. Yeah, you can all applaud. 15, it's an accomplishment. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been a fun week. We spent some time on her, uh, on her birthday, or no, that was, we went out Monday, kind of thinking back on Mercy memories. And, and the first one that came into my head was when she was little, probably uh, five six, something like that. And we went on a walk and I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. I love asking really young kids that question because, you know, their, their, their scope of what's possible to do when you grow up is kind of small, right? If they heard uh, what many of you do as your job, they're like, what's that? Um, so her answer to that question <laughs> on that walk was, she wanted to be a pop star slash detective. 
<laughs> and the way those would coordinate was, you know, she'd travel the world, you know, doing concerts. But when she'd kind of come to a city, she'd like solve a crime there. And then that night it would be the concert. And I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> and how she came up with that, what influences we as amazing parents had given her to think of that, I was proud of. Uh, a similar thing happened when our son, Calvin, was five at his kindergarten graduation. That was the question. They all came across the stage, and the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And like the first at least three, four kids in a row all said, Star Wars actor. And this was like 2007, right? So there's like, they're not making Star Wars movies at the time. I don't know where these kids are getting the idea. And if you know our family, like five was, I think, as long as I was able to hold back before I really started indoctrinating Calvin in the ways of Star Wars. Like we were watching the movies, we were playing the games, and our middle name starts with N. So he's going to go in the middle, and there's going to be like 30 kids come before him. And they seriously, almost all of them, kept saying Star Wars actor. I'm like, oh, Calvin's going to say the same thing. Um, but, but he didn't. Uh, he, he wanted to be original, and he got up there, and he said, my name's Calvin, and I want to be a farmer when I grow up. And we looked at each other, and we're like, where did that even come from? I have no idea where he got farmer in his head. I still don't. Um, but I know some process of them just sort of looking at adults and what they do and thinking through their own future filled, you know, filled that in. You, you really can't think of what you can do or what you can be without seeing someone else do it. Uh, props to those who saw that sermon illustration coming. Um, I, I saw a video years ago. Thank you. forgot about this. I forgot everything. We got... Halfway here this morning and realized I'd forgotten my iPad. I'm forgetting everything. Forgot the water. Thank you. I saw a video on a pastor in, um, like, Chicago, like, inner city Chicago years ago. And he was talking about his ministry to, like, the youth in his church who are often, you know, coming from poor families, broken homes, and didn't really have a huge vision for where their lives could go. So he would bring in doctors, lawyers that had grown up in their neighborhood so that they could see that. Like, this is something you can be. You can kind of put in front of their, their eyes, like, the path in front of you is not just maybe what your siblings and, you know, those immediately around you uh, are. You're not stuck in, in those paths. There's these other things, but you have to see it, right? You can't be what you can't see is, is uh, an oft-repeated mantra. Um, and it can't just sort of be that you see someone doing something. There's got to be sort of like, I can see myself in that person, right? I've got to see somebody who kind of looks like me. And that can then sort of empower me to think of my own future. And I don't know what pop star detectives or farmers my kids saw that reminded them of themselves that filled in those ideas. But they got the idea somewhere. Um, okay. So what does that have to do with our, our series in Philippians Andy's been walking us through the first couple chapters of the book of Philippians so far. And like last week and the week before, especially, as you got into chapter two, Paul is encouraging the people in Philippi to look at Christ, who though he is like by very nature God, even Christ did not consider that equality, um, you know, a lever to be pulled for his own sake, right? That it, it, he's not leveraging his own rights and privileges to benefit himself, but laying those down 
to benefit others. That's been the message. And if you've been hearing that message, I'm like, yeah, that's a really tall order. <laughs> it's really difficult to imagine myself living like that. Um, and it's been kind of funny. Um, Andy has pointed to himself in this series always as an example of how not to do that right. right? It's always like, here's how I don't do uh, what I'm talking about. And I don't know if you're like me, but my reaction is I'm like, dude, you're like a pastor. <laughs> if you don't feel like you're living up to this, I'm like, that's miles down the road uh, of, of having like my own life story echo that of Christ's, right? That's the call. I know that's the call. <laughs> I grew up in church. I know like what, you know, to follow Christ uh, is, is, is the life I'm supposed to lead. But when you sort of hear that call and you imagine yourself, you look at your, yourself and, and how you feel and how you live, and you're like, dude, is, is, that, is that doable for me? Is that probable? Is that something I feel uh, capable of doing? Some of that hits me pretty hard. Last week especially, Andy was going through kind of this, uh, if you didn't hear the sermon, you should watch the video. He's going through this great sort of like, here's, here's what this would actually look like to not just spend your life demanding your rights. And one of his examples was like fathers demanding respect in their home. And it was like, boom, that like stabbed me in the heart. I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. When you feel disrespected and rather than sort of like, you know, try to earn that respect, you just slam the table. You're like, hey, don't talk to me that way. And I can't think of a single time I've done that and it worked out well. And I was like proud of how that whole parenting moment or, you know, whatever home moment went. I'm always like, yeah, that, that's, that's not me being Christ-like. Um, it's funny though, how Paul, <laughs> he is kind of willing to point to himself as a positive example of what he's preaching about. Uh, he does this a few times. He's doing it in Philippians. He's talking about his own uh, imprisonment and sufferings. He's like, yeah, here's, here's how I'm walking the talk I'm giving you. Here's how I'm living out these principles of like willingly suffering for the cause of Christ. And that's, that's pretty gutsy, I, I think at least for Paul. And in 1 Corinthians twice, he says things like, I urge you to imitate me. And it's hard not to hear him to be like, guys, I'm like a really good Christian. If you want to figure it out, look at me. He says, uh, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And there's every, sometimes I, I, I want Andy to, to do that. <laughs> Rather than be like, here's how I'm a bonehead. It's like, no, guys, here's how I'm awesome. And if you just spend a little bit of time around me, it might rub off. Because um, I don't know, like. The, yeah, all right. <laughs> Preview. <laughs> but the point behind all of this, I think, and I think Paul does feel the pressure of this question. I know, you know, I feel like I know that Andy does. I know that I do. It's like when we preach these ideas of like, here's what the gospel is. And then here's what it looks like to live that out. Is that something that we can communicate as like actually doable for like normal people, not just sort of like amazing people like Paul and pastors, you know, uh, people like that. Now, it does seem to me that this is the point of something that other churches do that we don't, which is like the, the reverence for saints, something the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox churches do. 
they've got these stories of saints that are like not perfect people. Like you've got Christ and you've got the people in the Bible that we all acknowledge are like sinful, but we still have a hard time seeing ourselves in them. They still seem like larger than life. This is like Abraham. If you look at Hebrews 11, the great cloud of witnesses, these are people who are supposed to like exemplify for us what it looks like to live by faith. And I think that's supposed to kind of give us a sense of possibility of living this way ourselves. But I know a lot of us, I, myself, I definitely struggle with, I'm like, yeah, uh-huh, Abraham, Moses, David, right. That's right up my alley. I feel exactly like those guys. I can live just the way they did. But I think the, the saints of the Catholic and Orthodox churches are, are meant to kind of fill in this middle space between the absolute perfection of Christ and the absolute I'm capable of nothing, we might feel about ourselves. This sort of middle space of like, here's people who weren't perfect, but God through their lives echoed the story of the Christ. He demonstrated the power of the gospel to actually echo in our world and make things possible that otherwise don't seem possible. Um, I know growing up um, in uh, evangelical church, I have most of the times looked at the saints with, you know, just kind of a dismissive attitude. Um, and it's not, I, I'm not advocating let's all convert and let's put up the stained glass with all the saints around the church. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I will say uh, specifically reading GK Chesterton, if you've ever heard of him, he was a Catholic like newspaper columnist and novelist and essayist in the, in the late 1800s, turn of the last century. Um, reading him did kind of flip me around about this a little bit. He has biographies of St. Francis of Assisi and another one of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, both of which I found really compelling. The one on St. Francis I especially recommend because he, he's, Chesterton's burden is to try to hold forth St. Francis to us, not as somebody who is like just impossibly removed, but really has something to say and to like demonstrate in his life to our generation. Now that our generation is his a hundred years ago, but it's still, it spoke to me. I'm like, wow, this, this is really powerful. Um, and yeah, kind of filling in that space of like a life that's not impossibly removed from me. Like where I read the story of Christ and I, and I see all the amazing things he did and I'm able to excuse myself by saying, yeah, but he's the son of God, right? Paul himself St. Francis, even though we call him a saint, I, he, no, they're, they're sinners like me. The things that the Holy Spirit was doing in their life, he's just as capable of doing it uh, in me. And, and that can be an inspiration. Um, and also what I think I, uh, I learned by reading those kinds of books about the, you know, this way of drawing inspiration from lives in ways that we don't do as an evangelical church, I, I realize I'm like, yeah, but we do still kind of do this. If you don't have saints, you fill in that space in your heart and your mind with something. And that can be like cultural celebrities or maybe better, like some of us, we might fill that in with like Christian celebrities. But it, you don't have to do that for very long to see those kinds of folks fall from grace for something of their inner demons to kind of get exposed. And then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm devastated because I really thought this person lived a life worth emulating. And now it turns out otherwise. And so that, you know, just even realizing that, I'm like, okay, so at least like, you know, the Catholic, the Orthodox saints, they're not perfect, but they were rigorously vetted. 
You don't get to that stage of sainthood without them like digging in the closet and making sure that kind of embarrassing stuff doesn't happen. But either way, um, for me, the, the good thing about the fact that in a church like ours, you don't see any like art of the saints on the walls. You, really, in most Protestant churches, you won't see anything on the walls except for maybe a cross, and sometimes not even that, uh, because there's a worry about idolatry if, if there's too much stuff up there that's not just, you know, the gospel itself. There's something really good about that. There's lots of really things that I think are really good about that. It forces our eyes to not get distracted by anything but the cross. But the other opportunity I think it does for us is rather than my eyes kind of going up on the walls to a saint I've never met and that maybe lived hundreds of years ago, it lets my eyes kind of go down the pew and see what I'm, I'm going to use kind of a big phrase. Oh, it's not till later in the notes, but I'm using it here. Don't worry about it, Kayla. But he uses this phrase, proximate saints. The idea of people who, who are in our lives much more immediately. People who I've like maybe known for many years or I'm just getting to know. But, you know, rather than them being up on the wall, they're like right there down the pew. And their lives have the power to sort of like demonstrate to us the power of the Holy Spirit to do in our lives what he's doing right there. It's, it's a lot harder to dismiss ourselves, to excuse ourselves for seeing ourselves involved in the story of Christ when we see it with like regular people right next to us. And I think that is the point of the, of the um, passage Andy read to us today. It, it's a little, when I first read this passage after we had our sort of meeting of who was preaching what in the series and I looked at this one, I'm like, dude, this is kind of a harder passage to preach coming out of the earlier ones that are just, they have a really clear point. This just sort of seems like we're reading Paul's mail, right? He's like talking about a guy named Timothy and he's talking about a guy named Epaphroditus. But that kind of seems the point. Like, oh, he's pointing to a couple of like dudes in their church that are just like, they've both been made saints. They are now Saint Timothy and Saint Epaphroditus, but they weren't to the Philippians Paul was writing to. They were just regular guys. So I want to take a look at this passage one more time with that sort of framework. Uh, Andy already read it to us, but I don't think there's anything wrong with reading it again. So follow along with me as we read this one more time. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and, and not only him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad that I may have less anxiety. Oh, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. 
So at this point in Philippians, Paul already pointed to his own sufferings as an example of living out Christ's own self-emptying. And now he points to these two other guys. Guys, the, the Philippians are probably less like to put way up on a pedestal like they would do with Paul. So who are these guys? What can we learn about them from this passage? Not a ton, right? We're not given like a, a huge story here. With Timothy, you, we can see him in a couple other places. Acts chapters 16 through 20 tells us a little, about, a little bit about what he's doing um, in the early church. And Paul writes two letters to him as a pastor to kind of instruct him uh, in what he's doing. He was a bishop in um, uh, Ephesus. I saw the word in my head and couldn't say it out loud. Ephesus. Um, but what's interesting is even if you kind of look to those places, read Ephesians 16 through 20, Timothy is not like a main character. He really fades to the background. You're, he, he, he doesn't kind of have like apostle rock star status. Actually, the only real specific thing you get about him in Acts is that he, at Paul's request, was willing to be circumcised as an adult. Talk about suffering for Christ. That was a good punchline. I thought that deserved more. Um, anyway. Uh, Epaphroditus, we get way less about. This is all you know about him, is this short paragraph we get in Philippians. And it really kind of sounds like a bummer. He had been, you know, an ambassador. He'd been a helper sent from the Philippians to go help Paul. And when he got there, he got sick uh, and was kind of a burden to everybody. And you can imagine being Epaphroditus. He's like, geez, I'm just trying to help. And I end up being a, a burden. Like, Paul's got to take care of me. It, Paul says he's distressed because he'd heard the Philippians heard that he was sick. He's like, oh, no, now they're just worrying about me. And so the whole thing feels kind of like a failure, which I think is why Paul's pointing to it. It's like this. This is a great example <laughs> of what I'm talking about. This guy uh, who we wouldn't have heard of. He would never have been a saint if we hadn't got this little snippet about him right here. Um, Paul's pointing to him as an example of a, a, a proximate saint. And so to me, that's really the value I took reading this passage the last couple of weeks and thinking about its meaning for us. I'm like, oh, so Timothy and Epaphroditus are like inspirational guys. Paul holds them up to his own community and to us through the scripture and the church has venerated them as saints and that's wonderful. But I think maybe there's a pattern of thinking and of speaking here that's maybe even more powerful for us rather than just the guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's the idea of looking down the road, looking at each other as saints. Because, of course, that's the way the New Testament uses that word. The word doesn't mean, like, really, really great Christian. It just means, like, a person who's been made holy by the gospel, which is everybody who's put their faith in Christ. So looking to see that, like, sainthood in one another, in community, I think is the real message here. Um, that there, there are people in this room who are our Timothys in Epaphroditus's. And I think this is a kind of spiritual discipline where we kind of intentionally ask ourselves this question, where do I see the Holy Spirit sort of echoing the love of Christ, the self-giving, the willingly suffering love of Christ in the people like in my immediate community? And I actually think you take a look around, it's not that hard to see when, when your eyes are open to it. We need, we need to have the eyes to see the regular folks like you and me and draw inspiration from that. So here we go. I'm going to do that for a minute. Let's start with my mom. 
Andy gave her props uh, this morning and last week about, you know, coming. she and my dad are retired. When I think about retirement, I think about books, cigars, sitting around. I don't really think all that much about going out on a Tuesday morning and, and helping uh, at a food kitchen. But my dad and my mom have both done that uh, for years. And I think that's, that's awesome. That, that inspires me. I'm like, okay, that kind of gives me, you know what? I'm busy on a Tuesday or a Tuesday, Thursday, I forget which day it was. I'm, I'm at work on those mornings, but you know, what are the ways that my life can look like that? Let me look, uh, let me talk about my wife for a minute. She doesn't know I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> but she knows I draw tons of inspiration from the work she does at Aptos Junior High. She has an after school program teaching drama, but that's kind of like barely why she's there. She loves drama. She puts on these amazing productions. But she also just does a ton of stuff most drama programs don't do to make these kids who are, you know, a drama kid in junior high, they oftentimes, they just feel very unseen, like they don't have a place in the world. And Rachel provides that. And she works her tail off to do that. And we get, you know, we get the stories from their parents. They're like, they didn't even want to go to school. And now, like, they're excited to go to school. And I'm, like, crying. So thank you. And so we cry and... And it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Now, there's a microphone right here. And in a minute, I'm going to give us a couple of minutes uh, to maybe do a little bit of this. For you to think of, you know, maybe other people in this room, uh, or maybe not in this room, but in our community, where there's a similar thing going on in your mind. You're like, yeah, I, you know, I look at what they're doing, and I, I just really always thought it was amazing. And not superhuman, not impossible, Uh, to any one of us, but like, here's just a way I see the Holy Spirit echoing Christ's love, his self-giving love through others. I'll I'll say, uh, to give you time to think before we open the mic, um, one for me, and this is, uh, there's multiple families like this uh, in this church, but my brother Todd over here, uh, the, the Kitches, the Webbers, I know there's several other families who, who have, you know, adopted children into their home. And I don't think there is a stronger metaphor for the gospel than that, you know, taking us who maybe don't have a family and like bringing, uh, bringing kids into a family and giving them a home. And I I only ever see it from the outside, but it's, it seems pretty clear. That's not always super easy. Um, but it's inspirational. It's a way I see like, wow, here's like, here's God telling the gospel through people right here. People that, you know, we live and, uh, you know, play accordion for us uh, on Sunday mornings. And that's, that's super inspirational. Okay. Well, I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, please don't assume that all of that needs to be over. Like linger longer is, uh, I'll admit, I usually pursue the shallowest of conversations during uh, Linger Longer, but that, that's not obligatory. Feel free to, you know, if, if your heart was sort of moving during that and you're like, there was somebody you wanted to just sort of say like, hey, here's a way your life has been a blessing to me and you didn't get a chance to say it then, no one's going to stop us uh, from doing that for one another out at Linger Longer. Um, I hope... The message this morning that's been heard is that God is glorifying Christ by echoing Christ's story in the lives of people in our community, of people in this room, people 
that aren't in this room because they're serving with the kids right now uh, are, are people all over the, the county. I just caught eye of the hearts. And I, and I know a lot of us have gotten uh, front row seats to see how they bless kids all over this county and the cost associated with that. I know that's not easy. Um, and so, and to me, what this means is that the Christian life is not one of moral perfection or even that the idea of growth in the Christian life is greater and greater approximating moral perfection. It's more, I think, um, this, this willingness to, like, to, to have the story of Christ echo in our own lives, an eagerness for that. Um, and, and, that, and that does have to do with suffering for Christ. And what I hope that I don't, the message this morning is not, therefore, go looking for suffering. You don't have to go look for it, right? Life will take care of the suffering. It, it has its own way of, of finding us. But the message here is that when suffering comes, as it did for Timothy, and it did for Epaphroditus, without them looking for it, Rather than seeing that suffering in, in, in the sort of disasters they felt maybe connected to that as distancing them or distancing us from God's will or God's work, it actually puts us right in the thick of it. That's what I hear Paul, that's what I hear the Holy Spirit saying through this passage. That the really, I mean, I think the deep sort of theological reality here is that the Christ who carried his own cross and was crucified on it is never nearer to us than when we are carrying ours. And that never, that's never an experience of like glory uh, in the moment of it. Uh, it, it. It requires and involves, like I say, this sort of you know, spiritual discipline of, of looking at our own lives, life in general differently. But it's much easier for us to see this work in others, I think, than it is in ourselves, right? We, it's much clearer to me to see the way, especially, you know, within, within our marriage, when, when my wife feels defeated, it's so much easier for me to see how Christ is just doing his work in her. And reciprocally, when I feel just absolutely defeated, she's able to see like, no, no, no you're looking at this wrong. Here's, here's how... Um, Here's how this really is a wonderful thing. So my encouragement to us today is to just, just to practice that, to, 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 to learn to think about it in those terms, and then to have the boldness to say it uh, to one another. So um, let, let's go to God in prayer and in worship as we, as we think about these things. Father, you, you are incredible, and we see the evidence of, of your love, of your uh, of your self-sacrificing love, not, not only in your own willingness to take on yourself our sufferings, to put them on to, to Christ, who is, you know, in his own nature, uh, has no obligation to suffer, but he willingly suffered for us. But we see your glory, not just in that, but for you to transform our sufferings into participation in Christ, into witnesses to his transformative self-sacrificial love. So I just pray as we, uh, as we continue to just uh, stand before you as a community this morning and uh, to worship you, that you would transform our minds um, 
through your gospel so that we can just continue to see it everywhere. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.